Well, I've noticed that as, as I get older, um, Jan and I find ourselves making more and more comments on the news when we sit down and watch the news. It used to be we just watched it. You just, okay, that's what's happened, that's what's happened. But now we find ourselves increasingly a little rolling of the eyes, you know, a little kind of, oh, what, whatever next? You know, what is the world coming to? Especially when we see perhaps social trends. You know, I've noticed quite a bit. We kind of go, oh, whatever next? You know, we, uh, we never used to do that. It's just something that happened when we hit a certain age. Maybe it's hit you already. Um, no, no, not you. And this, this psalm, Psalm 84, it's, it's one of a, a genre of prayers that we find in the Scripture, and it's for people like me. It's for people that say, what is the world coming to? Lord, how much longer do we have to stay in this? Is the world going to carry on um, with its problems and its difficulties? And I guess we all have moments when it affects us personally, and you just think, oh, Lord, you know, how long? Is this going to carry on? How much worse can it get? This is the prayer for you. It's the prayer of longing that something in us says, Lord, there's got to be something better than the world that we're in now. We might not always feel like that, but there are times we do. And when you do, we have Psalm 84. And there are others like it as well. Um, Psalm 27. It is a psalm of longing. Um, uh, I, I long to dwell in the house of the Lord, to gaze upon uh, his beauty. Um, psalm 63 is a great psalm of longing as well. Psalm 42, perhaps one of the best known psalms of longing. Um, as the deer pants for living waters, so my soul longs for you, my God. It's an expression of Longing to be where the Lord is, his presence. And Psalm 84 paints this kind of beautiful picture of a heart that's longing for a home that we're really made for. And, and why shouldn't we long for it? Uh, even the sparrow and the swallow that are birds of no consequence. Sparrows were sold, you know, um, for two a penny. Uh, they're worth nothing. You can't eat them. They have no domestic value. Um, and even they find a home in the Lord's presence. And the psalmist says, well, if they can find a home, if there's a place for them, then there's got to be a place for me in the presence of God, where God is. And this kind of prayer is really important. It's important to have as our kind of repertoire of praying. And, um, and I think it's important because it expresses a kind of intensity and, and something that's very real. It expresses a, a real longing in our hearts. It's not just something that's getting doctrine right, although right doctrine is important too. But it's expressing the longing of our hearts that, that, that's reminding us that our prayer isn't just about saying our prayers, saying the right thing. It's about expressing our hearts. When um, I, I married Jan, she knew that I was training to be a, a vicar, and um, we used to joke about the vicar voice. And Jan said, if you become a vicar, the one thing you're never to use is the vicar voice. And I didn't really know what she meant, because I never went to that kind of church. Um, <laughs> but the vicar voice is where you turn everything into this kind of rather um, sort of public school kind of, um, no offense, um, <laughs> 
I'm not saying. Um, well, look, let me give you an example. So Psalm 69, we actually heard someone in church, we, we heard someone do this. I'll try and do my vicar voice, okay? Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters, the floods engulf me. I am worn out, calling for help. My throat is parched, my eyes fail, looking for my God. That's the vicar voice. But it's not what the psalmist is saying. He's saying, save me, God. I'm up to my neck and I'm drowning. And I don't know if I'm going to get out of this. You've got to do something quickly. Why do you stand far off? Why aren't you doing something? This is a cry of the heart. This is a prayer that's real. This isn't something you can put on. This isn't an act. This isn't rhetoric. This is a prayer of longing. This is, this is something that comes from the heart. And you can't manufacture it. You can't learn it. It comes from a deepest part within us. And they demand to be, to be almost like experienced and, and felt. And I've always tried to avoid the vicar voice because these are prayers of, of longing. And I think we need these prayers because, because it's possible, isn't it, to be a Christian and, and learn the right prayers and to say the right things. And some people mistake that for true holiness. I mean, you can fake holiness by saying the right things the bible has a lot to say about people who look the part on the outside who know how to act and do the right things but inwardly there's 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 no softening of the heart there's no longing and 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 the apostle paul says that it has the outward appearance of godliness but there's no power to change the heart and so these psalms remind us, they're, they, they're, psalms of longing are really important because they're, they're making a statement that you, you can't just learn these things. You can't just learn them by rote and by saying them. Somehow you've expressed what there is to say to God. Now this comes from the heart. It's fine to say uh, prayers that you've learned, prayers that we've memorized. We say the Lord's Prayer. It's really important that we do that. But we also need psalms of longing to remind us that we can't always hide behind the, the veneer of a learned prayer. There are psalms that are raw and, and say what our hearts are longing to say. And Psalm 84 puts into words several truths that I think are important for us. And I think we pray Psalm 84 because by praying it, it reminds us of these incredible truths that, that will sustain us in our lives, especially when things are difficult, which is most of the time, if you lead my kind of life. And the first thing um, this psalm, um, the truth that it shows us, uh, is this. The pleasures of God surpass all other pleasures. That's the first thing that this psalm is showing us. The pleasures of God surpass all other pleasures. I mean, this psalmist, um, it, it may be David, it may have been written in David's name, um, it may well have been written by somebody from the court of David, but probably somebody who's reasonably well off, someone who's got life sorted, um, got enough material wealth, a uh, well-being. But what they're saying is, is yeah, but that's not, that's not the pleasures that I'm after. I've tasted what the world can give, and it's not enough. It's not enough. 
This psalm is expressing this longing for pleasure. And you know, God made us with a need for pleasure. People, <laughs> sometimes people think that Christians should be people that, that don't experience pleasure. I don't know where you get that idea from. Um, Jan and I knew a lovely old saint. He was very wise. Um, <laughs> and, and, uh, but whenever he was talking about Christians praying, praying for, for, for happiness, he would say, uh, we Christians are not happy. We Christians have a deep joy. So deep, it was going to take our lifetime to dig it out of this guy's soul. Uh, is, but that's not true. Christians can be happy. God made us for pleasure. It's no good praying and hoping that your need for pleasure will go away. It won't because God made us with the capacity and the need for pleasure. Our longing for pleasure is expressed over and over in the scriptures and especially in the Psalms. Psalm 16, in your presence there is fullness of joy. The pleasures of God. And, and what we need to know is that the pleasures that are available in this world are gifts from God to point us to the giver. If we find beauty in this world, it's because God is beautiful, isn't it? It's the beauty we see around us points us to the creator who must be beautiful. Otherwise, how could he create something? If you see a skilled piece of craftsmanship, um, I enjoy doing woodwork in my spare time, um, and I'm not as skilled as I should be, um, and I try to get it just right. But if you see a really skilled craftsman, you know that what they produce demonstrates the skill of the one who made it. And I, I look at, um, sometimes on Facebook, they come up these, um, these incredible people who make these wonderful woodworking joints. I don't know why they come up on my, I must have searched for woodworking tools or something. So now it gives me videos of incredible experts making this unbelievable special kind of like um, tables and chairs with unbelievable joints that they've made, sort of complex um, mitre dovetail joints. I mean, how do you do that? And they fit perfectly and they rub them all down and it just looks amazing and I look longingly at it and remember Psalm 84 um, I long for that but the point is that the finished product is a demonstration of the skill of the one who made it if we see beauty around us then it points to the the greater beauty of the one who made it um, the throne of God is the epicenter of joy in the universe and we're sometimes tempted by all kinds of counterfeit pleasures. Um, not that any of the pleasures in this life are wrong, but, the, but sometimes we're tempted to make them all there is, to make them the longing of our hearts, which distracts us from the greater longing. The pleasures of God surpass all other pleasures. And in Psalm 84, he lists uh, several. Uh, firstly, he says, How lovely is thy dwelling place, um, and the Lord is lovely. If he's created lovely things, if you've ever looked at a sunset and thought that's lovely, it's because he's lovely. And that beauty points to the Lord. Jan and I went to, on holiday just uh, last week. We were in West Bay um, on the Dorset coast um, and walking on the hills. And even, even through the kind of uh, slightly cloudy, misty um, rain, which we had quite a bit of the time, you just see this extraordinary beauty. It's lovely. And we just stop at various points, looking at the cliffs, mostly admiring the hill that we've just climbed up, thinking we did that. Um, and looking at the incredible vista, 
and just thinking this points us to the beauty of, of God. He's lovely. Um, Isaiah 4.2, In that day the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious. Speaking, of course, of the coming of Jesus. And Psalm 27, the psalmist says, I long to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. And then several times he says, the people who dwell in God's house, they're blessed. He says, uh, Lord God Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you, in verse 12. And uh, again in verse uh, 4, is it? Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are forever praising you. Blessed literally means happy, doesn't it? I mean, it means other things as well. But to be blessed means to be happy, fulfilled. Um, And this is a longing for, for the happiness that God brings us when we know that we're right with him and he's in charge of the world, blessed. Um, and then he says, um, he says, talks about honor. Um, he, he says that for with the Lord is honor. He bestows love and honor. And I think that, that means that there's an incredible pleasure in knowing that I'm loved by God that somehow I'm accepted by him and, and, and welcomed in, that he actually wants me as his friend. And I, and I think that's, that's how the Lord is saying, I want you to take incredible pleasure in that. When there's not a lot else in life that gives you pleasure, take great pleasure in the fact that he knows you, that he loves you, and that he's want, he wants you in his presence. He's longed for you to be in his presence. And the psalmist is expressing this longing, saying, I long for that more than anything else. More than anything else. He says that the, the, the need to be recognized and rewarded, honored, if you like, for the um, for, for things that we're able to do is universal. We need honor. We need to know that what we've done is worthwhile and valuable. And God rewards those who seek him. And here the psalmist is saying, take, take pleasure in that that God rewards you for seeking him. I, I just think this is a prayer that is so important for us when we're so consumed very often by the pleasures of this world, and that's something that we have opportunity in the West for more than anything else, really. So much pleasure around. But it's saying, seek the pleasure that comes from God that surpasses all other pleasures. By praying this psalm, it stirs up in us a true longing for the only one that can ever really satisfy our hearts. It says, as a, as a proverb says, as a person thinks, so they are. As we pray this prayer, as it becomes a part of our praying to God, so it has the ability to make it so. As we speak out our longing, even at times we don't feel it, the act of praying it stirs it up within our spirits and makes it a reality. The pleasures of God surpass all other pleasures. He says, I'd rather be a doorkeeper, uh, you know, at the lowest of status in God's house than be anywhere else. And then he says, um, the second thing it shows us is um, that we long for another world. Uh, and we are aliens in this world. I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world, um, don't think too highly of uh, this world. Hebrews 11 verse 13, um, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, and all those who went before, they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on the earth. They were longing for a better country. 
And when we come to trust in Jesus Christ, our identity is in eternity and our homeland is heaven and we'll never really be satisfied truly or completely with anything other than heaven. The Apostle Paul said, I, I don't know which is better, I, I really long to end this life and go and be with the Lord because to be with the Lord is better than to be here. And this psalm is expressing that truth that we are aliens and we're therefore to live as it were as aliens. Don't make friends with the world too much because this isn't our home and it's not where we're for. And then the third thing, the third truth that Psalm 84 um, highlights for us is the fact that it's describing a journey. It's quite possible that Psalm 84 is being sung by people as they make their way up to the temple to worship. Um, He says, um, that as they pass through the valley of Baca, you know, the, the, the valley of Baca is a place of, uh, of desolation. But you have to pass through uh, this valley before you can get to Mount Zion uh, and, and the city of Jerusalem and the temple where they're headed to worship. And it, it's almost certainly describing a, a journey that they made um, from their homes, from their villages, as they gathered up to, to go up to the temple. And so it's a psalm of, of longing, but it also reminds us that we are, we're pilgrims, we're on a journey, and it's a journey that we have to make. I, I may have shared this before, probably have, um, that the temple that they worshipped in was this incredible, uh, incredibly beautiful uh, structure, and uh, Solomon had been commanded to build it in exactly the way that God showed him. He was given precise instructions. There was to be an outer court. They were to put gates in it so that people could come into the outer courts. And these were the courts of the Gentiles. Anyone could come into that place. And then there was the inner court that was separated off by palisades all the way around. And in the inner court, they made the sacrifice uh, that you could bring. If you uh, wanted to give a sacrifice for a new baby, you'd you'd bring the necessary sacrifices, and one of the priests would sacrifice it for you um, in in the inner courts. But then, of course, there was the tabernacle itself, the, uh, the, the, the place where the priests would celebrate um, the, the Day of Atonement. And even the tabernacle itself was divided in half, wasn't there? There was the holy place, and then beyond that was the most holy place. And there was a big curtain that separated uh, the two. Um, and in the most holy place, there's um, uh, the, an altar. And on the altar, uh, there is a mercy seat. On top of the altar, there's a seat, a chair, and there are two cherubim whose wings are carved, and they overshadow this chair. There's nothing in the chair, um, and in the, on the altar, there's a jar of manna that the Israelites were fed by as they wandered in the wilderness, Aaron's rod, um, you know, that, that, that budded, um, and the stone tablets, the commands of God. And Solomon is given specific instructions about how to make the temple, and you might think it's a little bit kind of, you know, why do we need all that description of how they made it and how God told them to make it exactly as he showed them. Until we read in Hebrews that this temple is a copy. It's not the real thing. It's a copy of a spiritual reality. It's a, a model, if you like, so that you can look at it and think, oh, I see. That, that's, uh, this is what it's like in heaven. This is, what, this is how God has made it. And it's important to get it right because it's also how God has made you and I 
The temple is a model of the human heart. How do we get into someone's heart? Through the gates of thanksgiving. We all respond to gratitude and appreciation. And I find there's an outer part of my heart. I let everyone in there. Anyone can come in there. Hi, how are you doing? Nice to see you. I'm really glad to see you. I really am. But it doesn't mean that we know each other that well. I just like to see you. We're friends. But there are other people that I let into the inner court. They're the people that I, you know, willing to kind of um, trust a little bit more. But then there's a holy of holies within every human heart. And within the Holy of Holies, there is a mercy seat that God intended to sit on, and only he can sit on it, and until he does, it'll be empty. And you'll put anything and everybody on that seat. But it will never, ever satisfy you. Because it was made for him. And God wants to tear down the curtain that cuts off my innermost self so that he can come in his glory, as on the Day of Atonement, And his glory comes over the mercy seat that's overshadowed by the cherubim because your life is watched over by angels. This temple is for you, it's a symbol of the human heart and how God longs to come to the very core of our being and take up residence there on this mercy seat. There's a capacity for mercy that's just waiting for the right person to sit on it. (laughs) And it's the Lord. And this psalm of longing is a longing for God, therefore, to come. It's, it's, a, it's describing that journey that we have to make, a journey that we make into the courts of the Lord, um, pressing in through worship and prayer until we know we've reached that place where God's presence has come. Now, God's presence is always with me, but our experience of it is dependent on me opening up my heart, the gates and the the inner sanctuary of my heart to let him in. Sometimes we talk about, oh, the presence of the Lord was really powerful today. Well, the presence of the Lord is powerful all the time. The presence of the Lord is with us all the time. But I don't always experience it all the time because sometimes I'm just only really willing to let him into the outer courts. But where he wants to come is onto the mercy seat where I'm made whole, where his mercy makes me clean again, where his mercy tells me of his incredible love for me, where his mercy is just washes over me. And then we go away saying, oh, great worship today, really love the presence of God. Yeah, but it's about how much we let him in. So this psalm is, is highlighting for us a, a, a profound truth that you and I are now the temple of the living God. You and I, God resides within us. You're, you're now the temple. And this psalmist longing that God should come to the Holy of Holies and take his rightful place, only then will he really satisfy us. And finally, a fourth truth it points us to is there's blessing for the person that makes this journey. There's blessing for the person that longs for the courts of the Lord. There's blessing for the person that says, this life, you know what, I love it, and I'm so grateful for all God has given me, but it's not enough. It can't satisfy me. It says, blessed is the one who thinks like this. Blessed is the one who knows that with God there are greater pleasures than can be had here. Blessed. There's blessing for the person who makes the journey and faces into the valley of Baca, a place of tears, a place of desolation. You pass through it. You don't avoid it. You don't get put off and say, I'm not going through that. It's too difficult. 
I'm just going to stay at home and worship God at home today, or I'm going to worship God when I feel more like it. What he's saying is he says that the blessed ones are those that face the hardship, who don't shy away from it, who don't give up their faith, who don't give up the journey just because we reach a valley of desolation. He says, no, blessed are those that keep going, blessed are those that persevere, blessed are those that don't give up just because the going gets tough. And there's going to be tough points, aren't there, in our lives? There's tough times when you think, Lord, is it, is it worth it? Can I go on? And I know that you maybe think, no, it's only me that feels like that sometimes. Surely not anyone else. Yeah, almost everyone else. I've been doing this long enough to know. And I've seen my own life, and I'm honest enough with myself. We've all had times like that. But what this psalmist is saying is there's blessing if you keep going. Because eventually he says that if you keep going and you face into your pain and your desolation, if you face into it knowing that God is the one who walks with you, he says that you'll turn the the valley of Baca will, will become a place of springs. In other words, there will be hidden refreshment when you persevere. When you set your heart on pilgrimage, and say, I'm not going to give up, no matter how difficult or tough it gets. He's saying, you'll find a hidden spring will well up within you, and you won't know how you got through it. Other people may say, I don't know how you got through that time. You know, that would have defeated me. I don't know how you got through it. I don't know how you coped. But you'll know. Because when we set our faces towards pilgrimage and say, God, I'm not going to give up, God, it's like hidden springs flow from within you. God smuggles into your heart when you're not looking secret sources of refreshment that sustain you and keep you going. He says you're blessed. When you pass through the valley of Baca, you make it a place of springs. The autumn rains will come and cover it with pools. You go from strength to strength when you set your heart on pilgrimage. Don't be surprised when there's valleys of desolation to walk through. The psalmist is saying often those come in order to increase our longing, which is what this psalm is all about. You may wonder how you're going to get through the valley of Baca. I was remembering um, it's the famous little bit in the life of Corrie ten Boom, isn't there, when Corrie ten Boom is really anxious as they're taken off to a concentration camp and with good cause because her sister would lose her life there. But Corrie ten Boom, coming from this courageous Christian family, um, uh, it was brought up to, to love the Lord. Her father tries to encourage her as they're crammed onto the train um, going to the concentration camp. And he says to her, uh, she says, I, I don't know if I can do this. I'm, I'm too scared. And he says, when, when we're going on a long journey, when do I give you the ticket for the train? And she says, will you hold on to it? until we're about to get onto the train. Only when I need to show it to the ticket collector do I get the ticket. And he says, that's how it is with God. You don't get it in advance. You get it when you need it. You get it at the point that you need it. And I think that's true for us. We can sit and think, Lord, just give me a nice bank stock of it so that when I get to the valley of Baccarat, I'm ready for it. It's like, it doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that, my friends. It doesn't matter how much joy you have today. When the valley of desolation comes, it will all desert you. It will be as nothing. That's when we have to persevere, set our faces on pilgrimage, and God will give you hidden springs of refreshment that will keep you going. And you won't even know how you came through it 
but you came through it because God opened up secret springs of refreshment for you. Seek God's blessing. Don't let go in tough times until you've received a blessing from God. This is an encouragement to say there is blessing. Don't give up till you see the blessing of God because he's there waiting for you, just waiting for you to keep going, to set our faces like flint on pilgrimage to know the Lord's presence. So, my friend, that's the introduction to our praying the Psalms, these Psalms of of longing. It may not be the kind of prayer you pray most days, um, but if ever you find yourself rolling your eyes at the TV news or when you hear about the trends among young people today and you find yourself thinking, oh, gosh, whatever next, Pray a prayer of longing. Lord, how much longer? How long, Lord? Even Jesus said that on one occasion, didn't he? How long, Lord, must I stay with these people? Uh, It's okay to feel like that from time to time. And when you do, you pray the prayer of longing. And you remind yourself of these great truths, how we long to be in the presence of God. And we do. (coughs) And the more we pray them, the more true we discover its, uh, its power is in our lives. Heavenly Father, thank you that uh, in these psalms of longing, you've given us a language that, that helps us to stir up our longing for heaven. It stirs up in us our, our desire to be with you. And well, one day we will see you face to face. Even now, it brings pleasure to know that we will be in that place. And even now you give us a foretaste of those pleasures. And Father, we pray that the Holy Spirit, who brings into our hearts the revelation of God's truth, would you come alive in our hearts at the beginning of this new year? Would you bring alive and make us alive to the pleasures of being loved by God? The pleasures of of being honoured and rewarded by God. Would you bring us alive to the beauty of God? Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.